<laughs> okay, I've got ten minutes uh, because we have to hurry, uh, and uh, uh, that means it will be quite superficial. But uh, uh, th those are the conditions, uh, and I would like uh, to start uh, with my own personal uh, history, uh, and I would like to conclude with some an effort to try to conclude with some uh, some. Uh, experience which we can draw from it. But uh, I was uh, 16 at uh, the time, and we are talking about uh, September the 30th, uh, 1943, uh, the day when uh, the, uh, the information was uh, dis uh, distributed, spread uh, in the Jewish community that uh, uh, we should not stay overnight between the 1st and the 2nd of October because the Germans would come and fetch us. It happened so that um, I was in, sitting as a pupil in, in uh, secondary school in, not far away from where I was living, and the headmaster was married to a Jewish lady. So she was informed, while I was sitting in the school, she was informed about the fact that we should try to hide during the coming night, uh, and uh, she told her husband, of course, and he started looking for Jewish pupils in the school, and uh, I was one of them who was called out uh, of the, my classroom, and uh, he said to me, Kuntik, you have to leave the class immediately, and you have to rush home because you cannot stay <coughs> in, your <coughs> in your bed tonight because the Germans are coming. Now, there are in, uh, in human life, whenever we take the courage uh, and uh, try to look uh, backwards in, through our history, uh, we'll find that there are some turning points in all people's uh, lives. Whenever you have to cho choose a profession, or you choose a wife, or you choose anything else, something which, whatever you choose, it does direct you into a certain direction in which will more or less influence the rest of your, of your life. And uh, for me, that moment when I was suddenly called out, because uh, I, at that time, felt like that I was equal to my friends, and uh, I was, uh, when I came in the morning, I assumed that I would, like all the rest, uh, stay a full uh, school day and come back uh, two, three in the, in the afternoon. I, I thought that this day would be a day like all other days during the German occupation, where we hadn't suffered particularly compared uh, with our, our compatriots, uh, and it should not be so because at that moment when he called me out and told me to rush home, I, my, my life changed for that, uh, that moment. And of as you can imagine, the deep, the deep, uh, deep shock, which uh, I didn't feel at that moment as far as I remember, uh, but I do feel this moment. The deep shock of suddenly being torn out of your daily routine and told this some, something which a boy of 16 uh, has no uh, life experience to be able uh, to, uh, to absorb the fact that you cannot go home and sleep in your own bed tonight, but you must find another bed somewhere, we don't know, but somewhere. This is a deep shock, and I think it started with me, it started with a process on the 30th of September, September 1943, which as a matter of fact, this process only ended <coughs> about 
about uh, about uh, ten years later, uh, in uh, September 1953, uh, when my wife and I and our elder son uh, uh, put our set our foot on on Israeli soil. I think the, 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 the fact that, uh, that we today are living uh, in Israel have lived since 1953, the story about our escape uh, uh, is not particularly interesting because at that moment when we started escaping on the 30s of September 43, uh, uh, 78,000 other Jews in Copenhagen were, were underway. I mean, I mean the whole, the whole, the whole, so to say, structure of Copenhagen as a town was upset in these days because uh, 8,000 of the citizens of Copenhagen started rushing around trying to find a place to hide because nobody but that prepared us and uh, you, you don't operate daily with the assumption that, that you have to prepare for one day where you cannot stay in your own bed. Uh, but at any rate, uh, I rushed home. Uh, my father and my mother were waiting outside our flat with our, my, my uh, uh, brother and sister. Uh, and um, I remember just before we left and, and locked the house, the, the key back us, and you can imagine this feeling. Uh, now, I hate, I hate to make it too dramatic because, of course, in these years, millions of Jews suffered the ten times, hundred times, thousand times worse fate than, than, than we did. But, but I'm trying to explain what we experienced on the background uh, of the normal life which we, after all, had led as Danish Jews from 9th, April 9th and, uh, until uh, September 30th in 1943. But this, this, this feeling uh, of not knowing your next step, because everybody lived an orderly life. You knew from day one to day two to three, you knew, you knew what you were going to do. And now you didn't know five minutes after, you didn't know where to go. At any rate, um, just before we left, I remember <coughs> the telephone call that was a rather hysteric daughter, uh, or, or aunt of mine, um, who uh, they lived a more separate life as Jews to belong to the, the very Orthodox Jewish community and their relation, private relationship with non-Jewish Jains uh, were, were, was rather limited. <coughs> they didn't know what to do. I asked my mother, and my mother said, call uh, your house doctor. The house doctor was a very wonderful lady. At that time, house doctors were, so to say, also social workers, and uh, not, only, not only in charge of, of the physical health, but also people you could turn to if you needed some advice. And my mother said, call her, go to her. And it so happened, uh, I'm digressing a little bit, that uh, they went there and uh, this doctor was part of something we know about today, but we didn't know at that time. 
that there was already at that thirties. Uh, I mean, one, one, the same day, as a matter of fact, as we were born, there was already now a, a network, medical network, in the process of formation, uh, which uh, was capable of absor- absorbing Jewish refugees from Denmark. So some some people, for instance, out of this pure desperation, they went into the deer gardens and and were trying to hide outside Copenhagen. Others went to the botanical garden and tried to hide. Uh, in, in my case, uh, my aunt, my my uncle, and their children, they went to the doctor. And she simply put put them on the track to a hospital called Bispebjerg in the Metropolitan Copenhagen, where the doctors had organized already a huge rescue operation. So many, many doctors, all from Metropolitan Copenhagen, knew that they could channel Jewish refugees towards Bispebjerg Hospital, and there they would be hidden and treated, and they would be they would they would open medical journals, uh, which were of course fortified uh, in order to protect them if the Germans suddenly were coming and looking at the patients who were in the beds in the different wards. But but anyway, we left left, uh, uh, the first night and No, tell me when, because... Uh, yeah, take five minutes. Huh? Take five minutes. Huh? Take five minutes. Five minutes, okay. <laughs> at, any, at any rate, uh, we stayed the first night in uh, the, the, the place uh, where we, we went uh, because my father had a friend uh, in the suburb of Copenhagen, non-Jewish, of course, non-Jewish friend. But, uh, but uh, uh, one has to stress that uh, uh, we didn't prepare uh, this friend for our coming. Uh, we just took a taxi. My father went out of the taxi, of course, shivering. I assume, I don't know, but imagine I would be shivering if I was in charge of a family of five and I didn't know what to do with them at that moment. And I go and knock on the, in the uh, and rather, uh, uh, for, uh, rather stranger, because there was a business relationship. And my father calls uh, the, the, the fellow phones a bell and comes out a second, two seconds outwards, the father came back and said come on in. This was typical of our later experience and typical of so many other Jews who at that moment were in desperate need for some help and some friendship. Because I, in 20 years ago, I wrote a, a book about the escape and uh, I, I spoke to many, many Jewish people. Uh, I, I, I noted two Two cases where people have been rejected at the first call they made to the first person they they asked for help. Two people out of out of apparently thousands. But at any rate, we come the next day. We couldn't stay because again we must realize that we thought we were in danger, life danger. Because we thought now comes the fate which Hitler, so to say, had decided for for European jury. Uh, we didn't know at that time. Nobody could knew that there was a special game here, but the, the thing you call the, the, the Danish exception. We didn't know. So we thought we were running for our life, and the pe- people who hit us also had the good right to believe that they were risking their life, because in Norway there was that sentence for hiding Jews, and the houses were blown up as a punishment. 
So we all were in an in incredible existential situation. Anyhow, we couldn't stay more than one night because you couldn't risk, risk the, the, the life of somebody who had extended his hand and said, come in, we'll have you. So we went for the next hiding down at the, the next night down at the, at the Ørsson, uh, in a small fishing village. And again there, uh, we stayed there usually in summertime with the fishermen. So we went again, didn't, didn't in any way warn him in advance. You were also afraid of using telephone because, you, you know, we, we thought the Germans were almighty. They listened to the phones. They were walking the streets. They were checking everything. That's, that's how we, we considered the efficiency of the German destruction machine. At any rate, uh, again, happened. My father goes up, comes back, and says, "You're welcome." And we stayed there two nights. And I'm not going to to keep going into the details because uh, there were two unhappy, two unhappy efforts to to escape. In both cases, it failed. One was a very pathetic thing. It was the students from the university who had started. The, the, they were part of a rowing society. You know, we rowed these sleek quick uh, sport boats and now they were supposed to, to row these heavy, heavy fishing, fishing boats uh, and when our, uh, when our turn came it should be, to be taken to the fishing boat in order to be rowed over the guys, two guys came and they said we can't, we can't anymore we can't. their bloods, their, their hands were simply bloody of the effort of drawing these heavy, heavy oars of, the, of these boats Anyhow, something important happened. Some, one of my father's friends happened to f look for us in the village where we were because he knew that we had stayed there in summertime. He knocked and all. He, again, you must realize he was not a young man. He was walking with a stick. And still, he, he, he thought it was his bloody duty to help us. But he didn't know how, he didn't know where. So uh, he knocked on all the doors uh, along the coastal road uh, uh, in this small village. And happily so, uh, he, uh, he found us and took us to his place up north. And that night something happened. Uh, with, I'm, I'm now finished. Give me two minutes more. One minute. One minute. You have to read. Yes, I'm sorry. You know, it sounds like, you know, Abraham and God <laughs> discussing uh, the destruction of the world. And, and Abraham says, God, if I can find you ten just people, will you, will you let them survive? We can't find ten. We can't find ten. So... He's dealing, Abraham is dealing with God now as I'm dealing with Alice. <laughs> <laughs> who is who? So, so we got, I got two minutes more. No, you got one. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, I can't. No. Uh, oh, no. Okay, so, uh, but no, I have Never mind. Uh, I have to tell you the story because it's, it's interesting, it's dramatic. And, and uh, it tells something about the human mind. We were sitting that night uh, waiting for the signal from the fishermen who should take us to Sweden. And the house was situated uh, on just across from the coastal road. On the other side of the coastal road, you had an open space, and that open space led down to the, to the water. And there, the fishermen would wait for us. So we were supposed to, to, to leave the house and rush over and then reach down to, at the sea level. And 
Now, to me, it, it worked perfectly. As far as I remember, it, it, we did so. We were sitting, there was a signal, we rushed over, and we came down to the rowing boat. Uh, then uh, I asked my mother uh, to write a, a kind of a memory, a kind of report about what she remembered. Uh, and uh, I was supposed to write uh, some memoirs, and I got connected all kinds of, of uh, family papers and so on. And I read this, this story there, and suddenly she says in this description, and then, then when we sit waiting, uh, the, uh, the, the bell rings. Uh, middle of the night, uh, there, there was emergency regulations. There was uh, no, no possibility of moving around. Who the hell moves in the middle of the night in October uh, in, along the coast? And the man goes out, the man who was our host goes out, and he opens the door. We, I'm gate quoting my, my mother, and uh, there was a few male, male voices, and then the door closed again, and the, our host comes in and he says, so writes my mother, this was Gestapo. And, I mean, there, again, the fact that you were many meters from, uh, from the abyss, it's something you know, I mean, you survived. Of course, you survived, but you survived deeply marked inside by 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 these by these this dance all the time between life and death, and they did one step wrong, and and you are the wrong side of the life. Anyhow, anyhow, we. Uh, I mean, how how this guy. Uh, Persuaded two Gestapo people in the middle of October night to leave the house, nobody knows. Anyway, anyhow, the, the signal comes from the from the fisherman, and we rush out of the house, across the whole coastal road, comes down, and there uh, is the fisherman with the rowing boat. His wife uh, was there, also the fisherman's wife, and the two the couple that was hiding hiding us the last night was also there. We went into the, the fishing boat uh, because the the, uh, the 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 motor boat was lying a little bit uh, uh, 50 or yeah, that meters us 50 meters probably from the coast, uh, and uh, I, I, we 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 are being rowed to the fishing boat. Uh, that's that is the first step uh, in the process of saving our lives. And uh, yet I turned around, and it was uh, the sun was slowly setting. And I see back, uh, and I see the fisherman's wife and uh, our two, the couple who was hosting us, lying down uh, in the sand with the hands folded, stretched, praying for our our safety. Now I'd say I, we were we were lucky, but um, one of my predecessors as chief editor. Yes, you you have to finish. Of, yes, of politician, uh, he didn't succeed. He was caught by the Gestapo. They threw him into a car, taking him to a police station, and uh, on the way. Uh, he was very, you know, Copenhagen type. And the way they turn around, and one of the Gestapo people says, uh, "Are you, are you, are you Jewish?" And uh, Mr. Koppel, who was the, the editor, was very polite. He said, "Yes, and you." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and then, and, uh, 
And then they, they started, this was a, what they call a condensation slumber. Uh, and uh, then they took him to Elsinore, and the, the Danish police sent him to Sweden. So that. But anyway, just to, just to conclude, the question is, what can you learn from this experience? This experience was only unique because of the Swedes, because of the late time of, uh, of uh, 1943, because the Danish resistance movement, because the Danes, like the guy who lands in uh, the first night and the guy who lands in the second night and the guy who found us, they all acted out of deep humanitarian, humanitarian need. They didn't have to. Who the hell would have blamed them if they had let us alone? But what I'm saying is, I'm, I'm not a historian. I cannot try to draw the, the conclusions about democracy or not democracy. I'm just saying one thing. These, these people acted as human beings. What made them human beings, as I asked you earlier, what were the motives? What were their models? Why were they better than others? I don't know. I'm just stating the fact that these were the people who acted on our behalf. And to me, these people are my models in my life. Thank you so much. Thank you.